everybody. Welcome back to Stars Like Us. I'm your host, Aliza Kelly, and I truly could not be more thrilled to introduce you guys to Witch Doctor Alex, a Scorpio sun, a Sagittarius rising, a Leo moon. Alex is an astrology enthusiast, a hoodoo practitioner, an occultist, a spiritualist, and one of my very, very favorite internet friends. I'm not sure how long we have been in each other's orbits, but I know that since I have had the privilege of starting to follow you, I have just learned so much. Your uh, Instagram is is just, I mean, it's very sad, rising. It's just a <laughs> well of information. There's so much history. There's so much magic. And it's truly a pleasure to connect with you. Uh, likewise, following you has been a pleasure as well. And I just want to formally say thank you for having me on this show. It's been a pleasure to follow you as well as follow this podcast. Thank you so much again. I appreciate it. I'm so excited. I Let's just jump right into it. I'm so curious about how you became Witch Doctor Alex. What is what is the story of you amassing all of these incredible titles and um, and <laughs> yeah. learning about magic and astrology and, and different spiritual techniques? Well, it's kind of interesting because, you know, I practice hoodoo, uh, which is um, an ancestral practice, but I didn't get into this until, ironically, through astrology. And it's funny because it wasn't until I began my Saturn return in 2013. Well, yeah, 2012, 2013, Saturn was a Scorpio. Long story short, it wasn't until I started that that I um, started to get into these practices and started to really dive in depth into um, more of my own psyche, my own practices, and more so feel empowered with my own magic. So my story really starts, I started getting into astrology in high school. Um, I was in the drama department. I was in English. I was in um, all these clubs in high school at Redondo Union High School. Shout out to Redondo. And the library, <laughs> they had Linda Goodman Love Signs and Linda Goodman Sun Signs. And so I picked up the book and I really got into astrology. My mom would always like show me my horoscope in the LA Times and stuff like that. But it wasn't until I really got in depth with my um, with astrology interest that I started to learn more. And then I believe by accident, I stumbled up, up, upon um, astro.com. And that's where I learned about the rising signs and the moon signs and things of that nature. And, you know, for years and years, I thought that that was like where astrology stopped. Like I thought like, oh, okay, well, just the rising signs and the moon signs. And that's all it is. Wasn't until like, you know, I got involved with astrology, Twitter and astrology, social media, and, you know, really Scorpio Mystique, who's also on Instagram. It wasn't until I got into um, her account that I started showing that there was a lot more to the story than just, you know, the rising signs and the moon signs and things of like uh, things like that, things of that nature. So at that particular time, she was talking about how Saturn was in Scorpio and Saturn returns were happening. And at the time I was going through all this crazy stuff, depression, alcoholism, you know, just really bad stuff. Like there were people living in my car. Like I had no friends. Like I was just going through a really hard time during my Saturn return. It was a really really depressing time. And the more I learned about occultism and astrology, the more things made sense at that particular time, especially in terms of the mental health stuff that I was going through and the joblessness and the lack of money and the things that, um, things of that nature. So anyways, during that particular time, I had met this psychic medium who I didn't know when I first met them was a psychic medium. But later on throughout the day when we were hanging out, they told me that they were a psychic medium and they did a reading on everyone in the room because we were all like smoking weed or something like that. So they did a reading on everyone in the room or whatever. And so once they got to me, he was telling me how like um, the women in my mother's family all practice this Bible-based voodoo. 
And at the time it started to kind of click because he was saying, like when he was saying that, like I started to remember all the times when I was younger, how my great grandmother, she would come from Louisiana to California to help my, uh, my grandmother, who was her daughter. My grandmother and my grandfather were having like lots of fights, like early in the early nineties when they were, and I was really little. I remember she would come and she would boil these herbs. She would pray under the bed. She would pray in the closet, stuff like that. And I started to realize, well, yeah, there is a huge difference between my mother's side of the family and my father's side of the family in terms of religion. And so once like I had um, moved back to Louisiana during my Saturn return, I started to really get into a lot of those practices and I reconnected with an old friend. Was your grandmother still alive when you moved back to Louisiana? Uh, no, no. She passed away in like 1996. My great-grandmother who um, did the practicing, she passed away in two 2003. So this okay. was like way after they had passed. So I didn't really have that much of a connection physically with them when I when my Saturn return was happening. But, you know, there was still like remnants and stuff that they, we still had the houses that they lived in. We still had all their stuff. And wow, yeah, I reconnected with an old friend and there was this stuff that I intuitively knew to do, like keeping that friend's um, tank top in a jar and, you know, with like um, affirmations and, you know, miraculously they came back into my life. And then we went to New Orleans for Mardi Gras. And we did this spell at the tomb of Marie Laveau back when you could. Now it's closed off. You can't go to her tomb until unless you have a um, a tour guide. Because of the show American Horror Story, people were decimating her grave. Little did I know, like the spell that we were doing was kind of on the borderline of that. But anyway, uh, we did this spell and then we ended up moving in together and it was just all this stuff. But that was more so kind of the first major spiritual work that I did that really worked. And from there, it just, you know, one thing led to another. On top of the fact that um, Susan Miller, the astrologer, during that time, she was talking about the election with Hillary Clinton. And she was talking about, you know, how even before that, like she was, I remember her specifically saying, every time Saturn leaves a sign, it leaves you with a gift on its way out of its sign. And at that particular time, I was working in Los Angeles and I had slipped and fell at this job and it was a workers comp situation. And it took about a year for it to kind of complete, but ultimately I had won all this money from this workers comp situation and I was able to buy a car and all these great things happened. So that even solidified my belief in astrology even more because of Susan Miller, the astrologer telling me about like the joys and whimsical energy of Saturn leaving a sign and things of that nature. And I took that as a sign to take advantage of that particular situation of me slipping and falling at that job. And I was able to, you know, receive the gift of a workers comp award. So that's more so kind of more of my start into these practices of incorporating astrology as well as my own spiritual practices in my family's practice of hoodoo. So are you a 12th house son? It's funny because depending on if you go to astro.com or astro codex, and I put in the same time, but yeah, sometimes Astro Codex puts it at the 11th house and then astro.com puts it at the 12th house. So I think I'm more so at the 12th house. It seems like you're at the 12th house. And also, I mean, having your Saturn return coincide with if your Saturn is in Scorpio and your sun sign is in Scorpio, then it was all it was not just your Saturn return. It was like your identity. Yeah. And absolutely. then the 12th house, which is so much about spirituality and ancestry and heritage and secret hidden things. And then also accidents are in the 12th house. Yes. And yes. that is like but in Scorpio, it's like you you also have a little bit of a gift 
when something bad happens to be sort of to to be compensated for that is a very certain type of magic you know it's a very scorpionic type of magic for sure absolutely it's really interesting i also was fired from my my last normal person job and being laid off was the catalyst i was able to get i think it was 3 months severance yeah. but it was the first time ever in my life i i was like okay, I can pay my bills. Yeah. And that was in those three months, that was how I built my astro- my full-time astrology practice. Beautiful. And it was kind of like this little bit of a mind fuck because it was like, wow, I guess all I needed was just a little bit of time and like just a little bit of money to like feel secure enough so that I wasn't taking on another stupid ass job because all of those stupid jobs were draining me, not just in terms of time, but also energetically. And you're a 12th house son as well or? I'm an eighth house son, but I have a 12, I, my Saturn is in my 12th house. So Saturn return for me was definitely also a finding astrology, connecting to my magic and really sort of diving into that, those curiosities and letting them become something that was not more than just like a sub section of who I am, but actually like fully encompassing my world, which is what I wanted to do anyway. It's been abundant, you know, and it's been abundant because I feel like I'm truly connecting with who I am. And we get so much information from who we about who we are, if we remember who we were when we were kids, you know, before we had to start putting our resumes together and defining ourselves. And as a kid, all I wanted to do is just go into abandoned old houses and like open boxes and be like, a potion. I, someone made this. Like I was just a spooky ass kid. And it, that's what lights me up. And to fill my world with it is, is definitely, it feels, you know, I feel rooted in that. Yeah, absolutely. Reconnecting with that joy is so important. And we lose that as we adult. So for those listeners who are maybe not as aware or not familiar, I should say, with what hoodoo is, would you share with us what hoodoo is, how it works, and then also how it differentiates from voodoo, which I think is something that is in the cultural lexicon a lot more, so people might be more familiar with that word. So absolutely. So hoodoo, which is started with an H and not a V like voodoo, hoodoo is a practice that um, was practiced by the enslaved African Black people in the American South. And it was taken over from when West Africans were taken from West Africa due to the transatlantic slave trade. We were brought over to the South, to Louisiana, to Texas, all the way out to uh, Florida and up to the East Coast of the Carolinas. So with the hoodoo practice, it's more so kind of traditional ancestral practices that we were taught or more so kind of carried over traditionally. So for example, a really good, um, and again, not everything with the hoodoo practice is particularly magic. A good example is at the beginning of New Year's, in any part of Black culture, you'd find people eating collard greens on New Year's, as well as Black eyed peas, as well as cornbread. And that's a prosperity working for the upcoming year. And that's a part of Black culture. It isn't so much lighting candles or, you know, doing sacrifices. It's ultimately a part of our culture. And most people, even people today that are very much more Americanized or much more kind of in 
Christianity, evangelicism, that um, feel like this, even these practices as far as hoodoo are more so kind of tied to voodoo. But the difference between voodoo and hoodoo is voodoo is working with, Haitian voodoo is working with Loa and like with Santeria, which is more Caribbean and Puerto Rican and Latino is uh, working with the saint, uh, the saints or the santos, so to speak. So with hoodoo, it's more so working with ancestors as well as working with roots and herbs, which can have similarities with the voodoo practice, which, you know, voodoo also comes from Africa. But because, you know, due to Christianity and the, the practices that were placed on African Black people and the erasure that was taken from us in regards to our own, you know, indigenous practices, we had to practice Christianity. And the interesting thing also about that is, you know, Sundays, when black people went to church, those were the only days where we were required to work and we were have we were able to be with our family and we had togetherness. And family is a huge part of black culture as well as African culture. So, you know, that's why we're, our culture, or at least black culture, especially black modern culture, is so deeply rooted in the black church. So a lot of the a lot of the uh, parts of the black church are very much kind of rooted in hoodoo, but people don't necessarily, at least today, don't necessarily like to acknowledge that part. But with the black church catch the Holy Spirit, that's uh, ancient African practice because it's it's similar to possession, just like in uh, the voodoo practice, when you are under possession of a spirit, catching the Holy Spirit is literally the same thing. Speaking in tongues, that's very similar to catching a spirit in voodoo. That's something that we do in hoodoo and uh, African Methodist and Baptist churches. Um, spirituals, um, stomping, dancing is a huge part of the Black church experience, as well as hoodoo, which is exactly similar, as well as uh, similar similarities to voodoo. But the difference is, like I said before, with voodoo is more so kind of working with specific spirits. It takes initiation. It takes being crowned and knowing your warriors, things of that nature in terms of the voodoo practice. Whereas with hoodoo, you are already equipped with ancestors, uh, with your own ancestors and guides to lead you as long as you venerate them with having an altar, which has its similarities to voodoo, you can have an altar in voodoo, but with hoodoo, you have an, um, an altar to your own ancestors, who people that you know who have crossed over. And I feel like people who practice this are people who have ties to the Black American South, people who have ancestry that are Black American. And I feel like that's the roundabout definition of the differences between hoodoo and exactly what it is that I practice. Yeah, that's amazing. That's that's so informative and I think really important context for anyone who's interested in any sort of magical, spiritual, occult work. Um, obviously, in the, I would say, you know, in the late 19th century through the 20th century, as occultism and spirituality became more in the mainstream well, it's really quite interesting how with each sort of spiritual revival, at least in the United States, it has coincided with a time of transformation and a lot of uncertainty. It's even going back to the spiritualist movement of the late 1800s, it came, you know, right during the abolition period. So there's this correlation between people sort of interested in mysticism, spirituality, paranormal things, and then times of uncertainty. We are obviously in a extraordinarily uncertain time right now. But 
as early as the 18, I would say maybe the 1880s in the United States with the spiritualist movement here and also in England, a lot of the traditions that were associated with with hoodoo and specifically with the black community in the United States in who were enslaved were beginning to sort of be pulled and appropriated and sort of utilized by the white practitioners. And I mean, that's now it's like 140 years of, of that. Um, so I'm curious, you know, I, for our mindful listeners who I hope every single listener is who want to be, who are witches and identify as that and want to do magic and be thoughtful with it. How do you think we should navigate this? Because it's also, it happens to be Hoodoo Heritage Month, as I learned from you. And with that in mind, I think that, you know, us learning how to understand how to work with this and really get its past and get what it means and get who it belongs to is really important. Well, you know, it's interesting, you know, with it being Hoodoo Heritage Month and with this resurgence in this interest in Hoodoo, you know, Hoodoo has always really been a part of the lexicon. I mean, even President Woodrow Wilson um, talked about a mojo bag in his inauguration address during the 1920s or 30s, whenever he was president. But I remember reading about how he mentioned a mojo bag in his inauguration address. And if you listen to the music <laughs> of so the- wild. Yeah, I know, That's... I know. Crazy, yeah. <laughs> and, um, and even the music of the 1930s and 40s, you know, you have singers like Cab Calloway or many of the blues singers that sang songs about going to Root Doctors and Loaded Stones and mojo bags and things of that nature. So it's always really been a part of the cultural lexicon up until like, you know, um, the 60s and 70s and when, you know, certain people of that uh, particular practice began to start dying out. But now that there's this resurgence, there is this popularity that comes with it. But with it, you know, like I often say, you know, too much is given, much is required. And right now, you know, people who um, have an interest in hoodoo, it's super important or really any of the African traditional practices. If you don't have African ancestry, and that's a really slippery slope too, but if you don't have African ancestry, it's really important that you find someone who has knowledge and enough wisdom and enough wherewithal that is of African ancestry that really legit practices these practices to do divination, to do some type of initiation ceremony, more specifically the other ATRs, but with hoodoo, you definitely need to get a lot of permission and a lot of initiation practices done to make sure that you have that. But with hoodoo, it's more so ancestral. But the thing about it is like a lot of people, and I'll, I'll probably get in trouble for saying this, but a lot of people that don't specifically look black may kind of have a an interest in this for example like if you look at you know the dad from modern family ty burrell he went on a show about ancestry and he even found out that he has african ancestors and he looks like a regular white guy but if if he were to come to someone and be like well you know i have an interest in hoodoo um, but, you know, I don't specifically look black. How do I find a way to more so navigate that? And it's not so much that you would have to explain, you know, if even if you don't look a certain way, if your skin is a certain color that you would, you know, need permission to go around people. It's more so kind of that you find that connection within yourself. Like I was saying on Twitter this morning, 
some people in the hoodoo practice are meant to sell oils or make oils or work roots or whatever and some are just here to do divination it's really dependent on what your spirits tell you what um your practice tells you and you know that you aren't supposed to be doing certain things when there are quite a few blockages in your path so if you aren't particularly black and if you don't and if you are black but you don't necessarily look it super important that you do certain divination practices that you do lots of meditation before you get into these practices and start doing things that are very disrespectful or appropriating a certain culture so with hoodoo practices there's similarities with appellation magic and what you know some people call granny magic where people can get away with certain things but you have to label it that when you are calling it that like you can't you know say that you are practicing hoodoo and then expect everyone to kind of welcome you with opening on with open arms because you know even if you are someone like tyro you can't expect everyone to really know your ancestry and you can't you know walk into situations explaining oh you know my great great grandmother this whole that that whole thing so anyways you know, the need for hoodoo is more so for out of survival and it's always been out of survival. It isn't something that you can just pick up because it's fun or it's trendy or it looks good. It's more so kind of, to, it's, it's always been for the slaves or the enslaved rather, the enslaved people to survive because we didn't always have historically black colleges that taught us medicine or taught us how to read. You know, the, we practice, we use the Bible so much in our practice because that was the only book we were allowed to read at one particular point because we weren't allowed to go to libraries. We weren't given other literature other than the Bible. So that's why when you go to the South and you go to churches, oftentimes you'll hear ministers rec reciting scripture verbatim out on a whim for certain situations because that's how hoodoo works. That's how we were taught and more so kind of that's a lot of our culture and our practice. But, you know, it would be kind of out of place to see that happening in you know, someone from India or someone from England or Russia to be practicing those practices because it isn't particularly their culture. So I feel like yeah. that's more so kind of the fine line that it goes. But again, it's super important that you have some kind of ancestral tie to this enslaved people from the American South that you have yeah. these, that when you when practicing these practices, that's more so kind of the first initiation door that you need in order to begin the practicing. And then, you know, lots of divination, lots of meditation and trial and error once you do have that particular practice. And when you're when you're specifying divination, how, how would you define divination within the hoodoo context? So typically divination has always been with either reading bones or reading tea leaves. And more specifically, especially nowadays, you'll hear a lot of hoodoo practitioners saying that reading with playing cards I read tarot. I also read playing cards as well. But, you know, divination practices is in the hoodoo practices, typically reading bones, tea leaves and playing cards. And so with that divination practice or even a Misa as well, Misa is more so kind of how do I put it? It's not like a seminar, but it's more so like a meeting with candles and there's just all this channeling. It's kind of like a seance if I could kind of dumb it down, so to speak. But yeah, you'd have a Misa. And you'd speak with the dead, you'd speak with your ancestors. And um, yeah, you do divination through playing cards, bone, uh, reading, tea leaves, and uh, through the Misa. I, I, it seems like, if I'm hearing correctly, that there is, that you're creating a distinction between someone who, who finds themselves drawn to this work and who doesn't have a direct lineage, focus more on the divination aspect of it as opposed to the and mentorship. sale 
aspect of it, making things and selling them. And yeah, it's super yeah. important that you get to really know yourself in these practices before, because a lot of it is very enticing and inviting to, because you see people making money, you see people getting quote unquote popular on social media with these practices. But, you know, I often tell people, you know, what's meant for certain people is meant for them. And, you know, comparison is a thief of joy, especially in these practices and especially on social media, because you don't know what all people are going through in order to get their millions of followers or their products that they sell that are, you know, allegedly popular and things of that nature. It's very much kind of a killjoy because you see so many people doing so well with it. And, you know, based off of what the economy is looking like now, it's very inviting to be like, hey, you know, I want to sell hoodoo oils too, since it's so popular and things of that nature. But, you know, super important that you spend time with your guides that, you know, when you build an altar and when you start with hoodoo, it's very important that, you know, you set up your altar and you spend time with it. It's very important that you also, you know, build a relationship. In in Black culture and in the hoodoo culture, it's not so much that you can go to your grandparents' house once every 10 years and ask them for something, you know, ask them for money. You have to build that relationship and know that you're in it to win it and you're committed to it. And that's the same thing with, you know, your practices in the well, in occultism, I would say, but more specifically with hoodoo, it's super important that you build relationships. Consistency and commitment is super important in this practice. Yes. I I think that it's, you know, like for white people or for non-Black people who are interested in magical traditions, I think that it's incredible to learn about different magical traditions and to talk to the people who practice them as it's part of their heritage. But there are so many esoteric traditions that go, that have so many different lineages. You know, there are, there's Gnosticism, there's um, Sufism for Islam, you know, there's Kabbalah for Judaism. There are so many different mystical traditions that might be more aligned with someone's own background. And even with voodoo or Santeria, you can be white and practice those as long as you have a spiritual parent, which is a madrina or a padrino or um, another practice as a spiritual father or mother, ultimately. And yes. like with Lukumi, you know, not Lukumi, um, I believe it's Palo, like you can't even be gay. Like it's super important that you learn the practices and more so kind of the dynamics and the rules of those religions before you go into them. And it's super important that you have mentorship, just like with hoodoo. But with hoodoo, you know, the difference between hoodoo and the other ATRs is hoodoo was done out of survival, as opposed to with the other practices of Santeria and voodoo, they were very much ways of life. And um, they weren't more so out of survival. Santeria, yes, because you're still kind of keeping those practices, but you're using the name of the saints instead of Oshun and Obatala and, you know, Yamaya and all those people, you were giving them different names. But with hoodoo, it's African-American culture, Black culture, Black Southern culture, but it was under the guise of Christianity for survival. So it's similar to Santeria, but the other practices are more so kind of, if you have a spiritual parent that is Black or that is Latino or whatever, and it has ties to those practices and they are initiated, they can initiate you, but there's not so much an initiation into hoodoo if you aren't Black and don't have any Black Southern ties because this practice was all based off of survival and a need, particularly in order to get through certain things, especially slavery and Jim Crow and things of that nature. So it's very yeah. different. Yeah. And I also, I saw that some of the things that you've shared recently for Hoodoo Heritage Month have also been stories of the 
practitioners themselves um, in the past who were persecuted for these practices. Yeah, absolutely. Many were killed. Many were very much downplayed in terms of their practices. You know, a lot of, um, especially in Mississippi and Tennessee, there are many stories of people's names being mentioned in the paper about how they were devil worshipers or how they were quote unquote um, charlatans in their practice. However, they were the only medical professionals that would treat people of color, specifically black people at that time. But they were known publicly through the media, well, the paper back in those days as charlatans, as phonies and fakes and people who sold snake oil ultimately. So there was definitely, you know, this character assassination that was done on more of a public level based based off of the fact that they were trying to push this narrative of Christianity and pure puritanism um puritanicalism I believe it's called so yeah it's very much that so it was definitely this teardown of people who practice these things and it kind of made it to the point to where it became popular even within black communities to um discredit these people who practice this and that's why so much of it had died out through the 60s and 70s because you had all that carryover of media attention downplaying you know these practitioners so yeah we were absolutely they were absolutely persecuted for sure and that's why that things have to be done in such a covert way but now that there's this resurgence there's this realization that so much of what we do in the black community ultimately is of those practices and you know there were so many clues left over from old music from blues music from jazz music from the harlem renaissance that tell us stories about spiritual workers of that time and we're so fortunate with recorded music with you know documents and books that tell us about these practices so that we can refine ourselves we can reconnect ourselves to that ancestral lineage because there's two three generations that weren't taught that because it was so pushed on people like my mother and my father to be americanized to be civilized quote unquote and to not carry over those practices because it wasn't modern and it was looked at as so primitive so you know we're at such a beautiful time with the advent of the internet and the ability to reconnect with music and, and books and things of that nature from our ancestors so that we can relearn those practices ancestrally. Yeah. Yeah. I think that one of the things that I, especially I've always been obsessed with history. I think that it's, it's so, I, I think I must've had some really good teachers at some point. And, you know, I think that when history is sort of overlooked, it's like, oh, that's old. Like nobody cares about that. That doesn't, isn't relevant, but it's so not old. I mean, I, my spiritual belief is that Every moment is every moment, you know, everything is still happening. So speaking in terms of the the concept of persecution is like present tense, you know, I think that it's, it's so important to for people to know that history doesn't just begin and end with a chapter book, but it extends through time and it, it continues until we have enough awareness to start to shift the narrative, but we'll never be able to shift it until we can really know what's going on. And in the absence of being able to go to libraries, and I started to find um, what is the uh, primary documents. There's an amazing amount of primary documents on the internet. Um, and these have been scanned over the last, you know, Actually, the Mormons do a great job of record keeping. Nice. I love record keeping. Yeah. <laughs> so I've, there's there's so many primary documents, you know, firsthand accounts. I got a subscription to newspapers.com. I did is, too recently. Yeah, I yes, did that too. And it's $20 a month or something like that. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And so 
to know what really was going on in those times and places, because it's not the way that at least the history books that I had in school framed it, you know? It's it's so much more aggressive. It's so much scarier. It's so much more toxic. And it's it makes me, you know, you can go and if you start, if you go on newspaper.com and you just go to a newspaper, any old one from any anywhere, it doesn't matter, south, north, east, west, and anything from, you know, the 1820s and 1830s, you're going to see some really horrific things. And they it was not presented in the true horror, I think, in school, maybe because the idea was that we were kids, we couldn't handle it. But as adults, it's time to fucking know what really happened. And you look at it's so it's so important for you know people in our community, whether it's occultism or even the black community, so to know so much about history because symbolically, what we're going through in America now, not even just the Pluto return, but with the Black Lives Matter movement, it's super important that we rely on ancestors and history because you look at Haiti during the turn of, well, no, the last century, we'll know the 1800s with Toussaint Louverture, the slave rebellion in Haiti and how they were able to beat the French out of the um, the country of Haiti due to their ancestral wisdom for them to have drum circles that allowed them all this ancestral power to make them overturn their oppressors, you know? And because because those stories and because that particular story was was able to be carried over and we have that wisdom and that knowledge of that happening, we're able to know that that's a really prime example for, you know, people of Black origin to be able to rely on their ancestors to overcome this oppression that we're dealing with. Even today, you know, we've fought through Jim Crow, we fought, we fought through redlining in our communities, we fought through um, being super cult, super predators, things of that nature. And we've been able to overcome so many uh, situations to where we've had, you know, a Black president. And yeah, that's, you know, very much a debatable situation, but we've also had many first black this, first black that. And in comparison to when we were completely oppressed, when we weren't even allowed to vote, you know, that's why I make it such a point that, you know, we, even though I'm a Sagittarius rising and people may get annoyed with my overly optimistic outlook, I always feel like because we have so much to compare from our history to look forward to, to the future, we know that better days are coming with ancestral wisdom, with the um, ability to look at history, know that, you know, where we come from is not where we land ultimately. So, you know, it's super important that we look at history and look at the symbolical parallels that we have with that, especially right now with the Black Lives Matter movement. You know, we need our ancestors and that wisdom more than anything right now. Yeah, I, I, I really appreciate what you're saying so much. And I think that it's I'm so grateful to be able to have this conversation with you because, you know, at the time of this recording, we just had the vice presidential debate last night. You know, we have your birthday is two days after the election. (laughs) It's it's so important to we have to hold space for all of this. We have to. It's a lot. I know that it's a lot for people to be in this moment, but if it's a lot for one, if you one person feels really overwhelmed in this moment, like I really invite you to think about what was going on here for so many people, for the black community for so many hundreds of years. Yes. And like this process of of discomfort that we need to endure right now is nothing compared to what it was like for generations and generations um, to be in this country. And I think that it's, I mean, we have to like, get tough, you know, and realize that our modern day 
discomforts, you know, especially me saying this as a white person, pale, I mean, are not even in the same realm of reality as compared to what it was like to live here for 400 years, you know? Absolutely. And I, I feel like that, I, I really strongly believe that anyone who's alive right now is here for a reason. And it's, and we are a very brave and incredible, you know, Pluto Scorpio, Pluto Sag. I even want to see you guys, Pluto Libra generation to be able to hold space for this. But we have to set aside like, oh, it's too much. Like, it's too horrific. It's too much media. Like, no, get in there. Be brave. Like, get out and learn and talk to people and vote and participate because we need to change. We need to push things in the right direction and not start folding in on ourselves and becoming regressive. If not just for us, for people that come after us, especially yes. environmentally too, and not even just politically, but for the environment as well, you know? Yeah. And the environment is political. It's the, everything has become political because politics are about power and power is about money. And ultimately this is all greed. And if we just reduce it down and boil it down to like the, the core of what is going on right now, it's like, People don't want to let go of their comforts of what they have so many. And that's how power distribution has just sort of been stuck for so long is because people are unwilling to let go of their power. And it's a shame because it's like the people who are uh, so far, I mean, and hopefully we can as a society like move to this on a even larger scale but it's like the people who are not greedy and who are kind and compassionate they they're always like giving back and trying to participate but like if just one of those really really rich greedy motherfuckers came through voice, it would like yeah. just do a lot more it would just be a big statement you know absolutely yeah and it's so important especially now like I was saying with the Hoodoo community for us to be loud, we're such an important part of the Black experience in the Black community, even though we're often overlooked because so much of the community is based in Christianity that we're looked at as devil worship and we're not necessarily Vogue. But, you know, and a lot of people look at, you know, the, the popularity of Hoodoo as a bad thing, but I feel like it's a good thing when it's talked about, when it's put in mainstream media. For example, you know, some people are on the fence about Beyonce's interest in the African traditional religions and how she name drops certain things in um, music, like Oshun, like her Grammy performance. But I feel like, you know, anytime these practices are talked about or brought up in conversation, it's a really good, important um, opportunity for other people to learn, people who wouldn't normally have access to it to uh, learn these certain things. You know, I feel like any opportunity it's talked about is a great opportunity for people of all walks of life, whether they're black or not, or to ultimately learn about these practices and the need, the need for these practices, the reason why they exist in the first place, you know, cause there's a lot of ignorance, willful and not so willful about these practices, whether you feel the need to participate or not, you know, there's definitely lots of learning opportunities that are super important. Yeah, and I think that the fact that you keep coming back to the to this being a form of survival that there wasn't medicine that there wasn't literacy like this is like this will and the incorporation of this with christianity was just because it was like this was what was available this was this was how this was these were the resources and the only ones right that really hits home i think in really understanding why 
hoodoo is something that is so important and is so should be so revered and respected within the black community and you know for all of the white witches who are listening to this to certainly learn and follow people like Alex and to discover new things and understand it but understand it contextually and understand it as it why, like why its origin and why it came to be and then to think like is it do i really need to put hoodoo on my bio like is that really appropriate for me to do or do i want to maybe share you know, the stories of people who are the real practitioners of this instead. Yeah. And it's super important to have these conversations. Even people, Black people who practice hoodoo, it's super important, like even with uh, the white sage debate and learning about the history in terms of Native American and the overusage and why that's important. You know, we all have things that we can learn, even though, you know, us in the hoodoo community and the Black community may feel that we're such a pillar and such, you know, such you know, of stone in this situation. Yeah, we have our own practices that are super important that need to be respected. But having these conversations openly on such platforms is super important so that we all can learn across the aisle ultimately and better our practices moving forward so that we can be environmentally sound and socially sound as well. Yes. I recently have been spending time outside of the city. And it's the first time that I've spent time outside of the city. And I'm just like, to be near nature and to see sort of the abundance of nature is so inspiring to me. And it's, you know, but then it's like, I'll, I'll find a plant, I'll do a plant ID on it. And then it's like, immediately, it's starting to pull up like all of these very colonial Western ways of thinking about it. Like this is an invasive weed, like don't put your roses near this thing because this is like problematic. And it's like when you start to just sort of unravel even on an ecological level, like how much control the white colonizers and then the, you know, what it means to be a white person in the United States has felt like they just can that that level of ownership that isn't that is really just so toxic instead of just like letting things be it's like we have to twist things around and turn them into things that we are in control of and we have power of so anything that then is not something that is that white people created it's like of course then we have to be very aware of the desire and the urge to appropriate you know it's like that's that's like what has been drilled into generations and generations of minds, you know, is like take something and control it, take your land and make it yours. And it's fucked up. Yeah. When you know better, you do better. And I think that's the importance of inclusion. That's the importance of having conversations like this one on this podcast today. And even just, you know, the debates that you often see on Twitter that can be, you know, rather harsh and heavy at times, even though those conversations are really important because it gives people opportunities to learn. And like I said, when you know better, you do better. And it, it makes it more plausible and, and pleasurable for generations after us. It makes it more appreciative for generations after us when we've had these conversations, we're able to teach the generations that come after us um, the better ways of living and thinking and um, moving in society, so to speak. Well, Alex, this has been just so wonderful. And so, and, you know, I, I always say, Tank, there are no coincidences. And I feel, you know, we were originally, it was supposed to, we were supposed to record in February in Los Angeles. And now here we are. And it's somehow October. And it's, we're in the middle of a global pandemic. But I think that this conversation is 
is so important right now to get out and to share. And I, I really thank you so much for your time and for your wisdom. And I encourage everyone to go follow you. You are just such a well of knowledge and just such a lovely energy. <laughs> thank you so much. Likewise. Thank you so much, Liza. Thank you. All right. Bye. 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 <laughs> thank you. 